teenager, I was, I was one of these guys that really wanted acceptance. Though I wasn't concerned at the time about the acceptance of the Lord, I was concerned about the acceptance of my peers, of fitting in and, and being welcomed. Have you ever felt that way? But, you know, I was, I grew up, um, my parents are divorced, and I grew up with my, grand, my grandmother and my dad, my, my grandparents, my sister, and we didn't have a lot. And my grandmother would, would go to the thrift store, which is great, and we have one, right, as part of Olive Gospel Thrift, but she would bring home clothes that she thought were cool when I was in middle school to start with, that she thought that I would like. And it's really hard, how many of you know, it's really hard to, tell your grand, hard to tell your grandmother no. You know, so there was always this feeling like, oh, great, Grandma, what did you bring home now? I got to wear that to school. I could, you know, and I always wanted to fit in. I always wanted to be able to kind of sit with, you know, the, the supposed cool kids at the table. It wasn't that I wanted to be cool, it was that I wanted to be welcomed. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be a part of of family. I wanted I wanted that feeling of acceptance. And I just you know it probably when you were in when you were in school there was always there was the the kind of shoes you had to have or the particular kind of clothes that you had to have, you know. And it's funny because you look at that stuff now and you think that was cool. Some of the stuff I look at back in the '80s, like there are these pants that no one no one probably remembers called skids. I don't know if y'all ever heard of those things. And of course, what was cool in New York, upstate New York, where I was from, as opposed to here, might have been different, you know. But there were these pants in the 80s that were, I guess, flashy that we'd look at now and think, what in the world? Why would anybody want to wear those? But, you know, they were, they were considered cool. And I just remember thinking, you know, I wanted those. I didn't have those. didn't have these shoes. And just everything about being a kid or being in middle school and even going into high school at the time just seemed like, man, I'm never going to fit in. Didn't have this, didn't have that. But I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be loved. And then, of course, there's a, you know, I, my experiences in high school kind of went like this. I remember being in, in lunch. And you can't fit into the right crowd when things like this happen to you. But I, my grandmother would pack my lunch. And I remember one day I had, this is gross, so I'll prepare you as you take your sips of coffee. I had some kind of sandwich or what have you, and then I had banana pudding. But, you know, it was one of those banana puddings that, we, didn't, we don't know what banana pudding is up north, where it was like with actual bananas and, you know, all that kind of fancy stuff. It was just one of those little, like, hunts or what do you call those things? Like snack, pack. snack packs kind of things. Right. What's that? Mott's, there's a lot of different brands out there, but the one, anyway, the ones that I had, I opened it up and, you know, I just remember eating at lunch one day and I dig into, oh, you already remember, I'm digging into the, <laughs> I'm digging into my pudding and, and, and I'm halfway through it and I've just taken a bite and my friend says something that I must have considered extremely hilarious and funny point that I'm just laughing and there's a that point of which somehow we don't know how these are attached with their sinuses and whatnot the pudding literally comes out through my nose mixed with snot it had to be and just dripping like from here to the table just this long string of snot or pudding which was it we don't know 
And my friends are just sitting there, my, I say that in quotation marks, friends are sitting there laughing and just pointing their finger at me and I'm like, give me a napkin, you know, because it's just gross. Just, you know, I'm not, how am I going to fit in? How am I going to be accepted? As a kid, or uh, in middle school as well, there's the, the famous story that Diane and the rest of real life knows of, of Stephanie Lonacek. There was this girl that was my first crush, okay? And of course, because of my experiences of not two feet long and not having the clothes, I didn't have the courage to actually walk up you know, to Stephanie and ask Stephanie on a date or to even talk to her. As I had mentioned before, I was the kind of kid that was afraid to even go up to the counter at McDonald's to ask for ketchup. You know, I would send my sister, can you get me some ketchup? You know, that's the kind of, you know, laid, uh, not laid back, but just fearful individual that I was. And so if somehow, I don't know if it was me or my friend Io, Iodella Stephenson was his name, and, but we came up with this plan that I would write secret admirer letters to Stephanie Lonacek. And so I wrote these letters and I just poured out what, whatever age I was at that point in middle school in my heart, okay? Oh, Stephanie, blah, 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 you know, and love your secret admirer. And so you know, packed it up, got the envelope ready, gave it to my friend Io, and Io would deliver these for me to Stephanie. This went on for probably like a week, but in my mind, it was like months of just pouring out my heart. And another letter I had even put, you know, I went into my grandmother's jewelry, it had to be costume jewelry, and put in like a bracelet or necklace or something in one, you know, and, you know, took it from my grandmother. I don't even know if she knows this day. It, can't, it couldn't have been expensive. I sure hope not. Just different things like that. Well, the day finally comes where I am sitting in class and her friends, some of Stephanie's friends kind of come giggling and they drop off this envelope on my desk. And first of all, I panic because I'm thinking, how did she find out it's me? You know, because secrets are so well kept in middle school. <laughs> And the envelope, I'm feeling the envelope, it's heavy and it's thick. And I'm like, well, she must have had all this undying love for me as well. I mean, she's just pouring it out on several letters. I can't wait to open this. I'm, 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 I'm terrified and excited at the same time. Have you ever been that way? You know, you're scared, but you're like, whoa, this is this. This is going to be good. All these years I've suffered with banana pudding and clothing and I've not been accepted by the cool kids and this, that, and the other. But if I just date Stephanie Lonacek, my world will change. Things will be different, whatever I was thinking at that point. So I get, lunch comes again. Hopefully there were good things that happened during lunch for me. I don't, I don't know, but so I, 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 I get by myself off to this, in, this, in the corner of the lunchroom at this table. And I decide I'm gonna open it up here by myself and read this long love letter from Stephanie Lonacek, finally returning her love to me. And I open up the envelope and I look in and 
every note that I'd ever written, Stephanie, <laughs> David's laughing back there, is shredded up in little tiny pieces. As well as the costume jewelry, link by link, was torn apart, mixed in this, this envelope. And all I remember was, I guess I was just overcome with emotion. I just remember crying, you know, in the back of the lunchroom. So that feeling of not being accepted, not being welcomed is like kind of one of those things it seems like that, that from, from those kinds of experiences kind of plagued my life. But it really is true that the only person that we need the acceptance of is Jesus. That we need the love of is Jesus. It's the, really the only love that actually matters. And so we're going to look at Luke 19, and, there, and we're going to look at a few other passages, but in, in Luke 19, there's this great story of this guy named Zacchaeus. Luke 19, and I'm not even there. I thought I was. And so Jesus says, enter Jericho. We're looking at, um, make sure I'm in the right place here. I have everything all over. Luke 19, 1. He entered Jericho. And was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, even in today's society, tax collectors, right, we think about the IRS, it's not a very, you know, friendly topic. No one likes to deal with taxes and paying taxes and, you know, that whole thing. But these guys, the tax collectors, that we read about in scripture were, were even more hated because let's say that there, there was no real regulations. You know, here in America, we could say you, you owe 10% if you're lucky, right? Taxes. And then, okay, so 10% of $10 is $1. Here's your $1. You're done. But these tax collectors could literally come and they could just say, you know what? Your taxes are 50%. I want you to give me half of what you have. They could just make up whatever they wanted to and then report back, give back to Rome their little cut and that they would take a cut for themselves. So they were hurting people big time, taking whatever they wanted. And so that's what this guy was. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. So he was high up in the ranks and he was rich. So he was just, he was one of these guys that they just despised, particularly the Jewish people. But this guy was, was wanting to see Jesus, says he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. You ever heard about that? I don't know if you ever went in Sunday school class. I don't think I ever, we had it, but I hear about this song called Zacchaeus. How's it go? Sing it. Sing over here. Go ahead. Nice. There's more to this? Uh-huh. So you're leading worship next week. Starting with Zacchaeus. But yeah, so he was a short dude. So he was hated because he was a tax collector, but he probably thought, you know, by being a tax collector, 
that he was, he was something, right? He was a short dude that had literally had to crawl up into a tree, it says, to see who Jesus was. So, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. You can't even say that without wanting to sing the song now, right? <laughs> For he was about to pass that way. And now if you, if you think about the, the, what the Jewish people must have thought about this guy in particular, you know, this is a tax collector. This is, you know, this is short dude is climbing. We, we have nothing to do with this guy. He's brought nothing but harm to us. You know, what is, what is Jesus going to, to think of this guy? He ran ahead, climbed into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Jesus, Jesus welcomed him. Jesus loved him, regardless of his past, regardless of his mistakes. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they, were, they, they all grumbled. The religious people, actually. Those that you know, we're supposed to be a certain way, right? We think about religious people, we're thinking that they're supposed to be what? Loving, accepting. Loving, accepting, Christ-like, which means like Jesus. And here's an example where we see what Jesus is like. But you have the religious people grumbling. Shouldn't be that way. And so they all grumble. It says, he has gone in to be the guest of, of a man who was a sinner. Bless you. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, I'm, I'm the, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So here Zacchaeus really trying to make things right. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to do what? He came to seek and to save the lost. He came looking for those who were in need. He came looking for the lost, those that, that didn't know who God was, who were not living the life the way that God had intended for them to live. They didn't know what salvation is, didn't know what the God of, of all creation is all about. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came looking for people just like Zacchaeus. He came looking for people just like me. You know, I've got some silly stories, but, but, but besides the silliness, there's a lot of garbage in my life. There's a lot of mess in my life that, that I know that Jesus came for me. And I am so thankful this morning for his forgiveness, for his, for his grace. And that's what's exciting about this, you know, is that we, we don't clean ourselves up for Jesus in advance. Jesus loves us the way that we are, but as we said the other week, He promises not to leave us that way. His grace, His forgiveness makes all the difference. It, it's, His grace changes our life. And so, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came looking for people like Zacchaeus. He came looking for people like me. 
You ever felt like, how can anybody love me? How can anybody love me after the, the things I've t- done, the things I've gone through? And Zacchaeus was this guy that climbed up in this tree just to get a view, just to see what, what this Jesus was about. And Jesus did the unthinkable. He said, hey, why don't you come down? I'm going to go over to your house today. We're going to have some, some lunch together. But Zacchaeus would be thinking, Lord, you know, no one else wants to set foot in my place. No one else would dare come over to my house. But Jesus is saying, I'm coming, well, come on down, we're going over to your place for lunch. The unlovable, the, the, grump, the people that are grumbling, he's, he's going, he cuts through all of that. Jesus, the love that he shows, the grace that he shows is miraculous. You know why? Uh, besides the Bible saying it, it, I mean, it's obviously very true. But I just want you to think about this. I mean, when it, it's miraculous, you think about mankind. People just, they don't know how to forgive each other. They don't know how to overlook the past. They don't know how to let the past go. They don't understand forgiveness. And forgiveness itself, grace itself, is really a miraculous thing. It can only happen by the power of God. You probably have some people that you know that, that you know, they've been distant. And maybe you're in the midst of it right now where you, so-and-so doesn't talk to each other because this happened in the past, this, that, and the other. And there's, it's like we don't know how this past is ever going to be reconciled, how it's ever going to be forgiven, how it's ever going to be made right. Jesus is the only one that can make those things happen. He's the great reconciler, the great forgiver, the great restorer, okay? You know, the restorer in particular of the relationship that was broken in particular between him and mankind. The Bibles that, that you were given as you were talking about that this morning when you first came in, you know, it starts off in the garden in the Adam, in, with Adam and Eve, the very beginning. God created the heavens and the earth and he made, you know, Adam and Eve and everything was perfect. Everything was, was, was beautiful. This amazing garden. But the separation... There was a separation that, took, that has taken place. I mean, did you read that part in Genesis 3 and 4? What, what happens? There's a separation that takes place. Adam and Eve are, are, are taken out of the garden, out of the paradise, out of the, out of the presence of God in that, in that case, right? And there's a separation because of sin. But Jesus is, is wanting to reconcile the relationship between mankind and God. And we see story after story after story as you read the Bible, particularly in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of where Jesus is showing that reconciliation. He's showing that love. He's showing forgiveness. He's showing that, that he loved so much that he did what? He gave his life. He gave his very life. He loves you that much. He wants to restore the relationship that he has with you that much. And so for Zacchaeus to come on down to eat at his place, we see how Jesus is, 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 has open arms of love and grace for Zacchaeus. Let's take a look at another story. Let's turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we see a... Another amazing story about this woman. It says that 
let's, we'll just start at, uh, boy, I really need to get some glasses here. In verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. So he's in the middle of teaching. It's kind of as if you were, he's down next to the temple, so it's not quite the same thing, but it's almost like they're in the middle of church, kind of like us, all right? They're in the middle, he's in the middle of teaching, and this is what happens. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of, of adultery. Let's just imagine, you know, here we are in the middle, we're, we're teaching, we're looking at scripture, we're kind of digging in here a little bit, and all of a sudden there's this ruckus, and, and, then, and then a bunch of people just carry this woman and bang through that door and bring her here in the midst of everybody. So they bring this woman, and it says, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And in verse, verse 6, it says, This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, so they're just, just hounding him. Jesus, what do you say? Jesus, what do you say? What are you going to do about this? Because this woman deserves death. This woman deserves this. She deserves, because of all the things she's done, this is what she deserves. What do you have to say about it, Jesus? As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them something pretty interesting. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Anybody here without sin in that group? Let's find the one that's without sin and we'll let you throw the first stone. And there was only one person in that group who was without sin. Jesus. Keep that in mind as we, as we keep reading. So he says this, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Imagine just kind of hearing the stones drop. People walking away. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So what does Jesus say? That's a really good question, right? You know, I was concerned about what all my friends would say. I was concerned about what Stephanie Lonacek would say. I was concerned about what this person and that person. What does Jesus say? Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, What? No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither 
do I condemn you? Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus didn't condemn her either. But we see a great, great understanding of what we mentioned, I believe, last week of truth and grace. Truth and grace always go together. Jesus doesn't condemn, but he also says at the same time, I don't condemn you, but I'm going to tell you what, this, there is another way to live. In fact, I, I've, been, I've been trying to tell everybody, including the ones that drop the stones around me, how to live for a very long time. I love you, and you will find nothing but love and grace from me, but, but go and don't, don't sin anymore. Don't, don't live like this anymore. Because God alone, the one who made us and formed us out of the dust of the ground and, and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, the one who gave us life, knows the very best way to live. It's so much bigger than the supposed list that religious people have that you should do this and you shouldn't do this, you should do this and you shouldn't do this. That's, it's, it's not about lists. It's not about checking boxes. It's about God saying, I love you. I want a relationship with you. And this is the very best way to live. The way that I've been talking about, the way that I created you, it makes sense. I said this to you a couple weeks ago. Life without Jesus makes no sense at all. It's like having this, you know, um, this blender, if you will, but you've never seen what the cord plugs into. You're like, what is this thing? If you don't know an out, if you've never seen an outlet before, what do you what do you do with this thing? You know, it's just like this is an interesting little piece of plastic. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Or if you, you had a guitar like I had there and, and it has no strings. This is pretty interesting. What does this thing do? It doesn't make any any sound, it doesn't make any sense. It, and if you take the blender though and you plug it in, it has purpose. It makes sense. If you take strings and you put them across that guitar, all of a sudden it has meaning, it has purpose, even more than just creating music. We just engaged earlier in, in worship, telling the Lord how much we love Him lifting him up, praising God. Life doesn't make any sense at all without Jesus. He says, neither do I condemn you and go from now on and sin no more. In fact, live the way that I've, I've, been, I've been speaking. That's really what Toby's place is all about, I think, is getting us, all of us, connected with what God says. Because God's plan for life makes sense. Nothing else does. And since you've been here, you've probably seen that. You've probably seen, oh, you know, the light bulb come on in different ways. Yes, yes. It's the most peace I've ever felt. This is the most sense life has ever made because of what God has to say. pretty awesome. Let's take a look at a couple more verses. We're going to look at Romans chapter 5. Verse 
I just want to read verse 8. Someone want to read that for me, actually? That'd be kind of cool. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did he do it? While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. He died for us. In the midst of our mess, in the midst of our mistakes, he showed his love by dying for us on the cross. Let's take a look at another passage. Uh, the first part is probably going to be more familiar than the second. Turn to John chapter 3, but you know where I'm headed already. If you've ever seen someone holding signs at a sporting event, right? John 3:16. Now I want you to, if you can, try to hear it again, you know, for the very first time. There are some things that we hear over and over to the point that they, it seems like it loses its meaning. It doesn't. But John 3.16, I'm going to read it to you, out of the ESV anyway. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But let's look at the next verse, too. The next verse is pretty, pretty awesome, considering what we've been talking about. For, for God did not send his son into the world. What did he send his son for? It says he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why he came, right? When we start thinking about the check boxes and this, that, and the other, he didn't, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, to say, what you've been doing all this time is wrong. Everybody get out the stones and put this whole, all, this whole group, all of us, in the middle. He didn't send his son to condemn us. It says, but in order that the world might be saved through him and that saved is is it's a big it's a bigger word than maybe you thought that saved is is more than than about going to heaven when you die that's great being being with god for all of eternity but that being saved really matters even now the life that we live now, that we can live in, in joy and, and worship of God, the, being able to gather together like this is, is a little, little taste of heaven, if you will. Salvation is living, living a, a life in, in relationship with God. Even now, it doesn't start when we die. We are children of God. If we've made that decision to follow Christ and, and he's, he's saved us, He's forgiven us of our sins, salvation means that we are His children now. What does it mean to be a child of God right now? We don't wait for the presence of God. The Bible teaches us, and this is hard to understand, it's mysterious in some ways, that, that God, His Holy Spirit, indwells us lives within us, moves among us. We, we walk in His presence as believers, as Christians, moment by moment. 
And sometimes we, we don't realize that. We get distracted by life and everything else around us. But, but we, we are walking and living in his presence even now. It's pretty incredible. I want to share one more verse with you this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 23. We're going to start at 23 and we're going to look at 24 as well. So I, you know, I've got lots of other stupid, silly stories. But, I, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. Grew up hearing a lot about Jesus. You know, um, was uh, drugged to church. But when I went to church, uh, you know, I was, I was just fidgety. Didn't really want to be there. Went there because my dad wanted me to come with him. It was like, I guess, the thing to do. I was a Christian in the sense that, you know, I had, I had um, just heard my grandmother and my dad talk a lot about it. I had said a prayer, but I really, it wasn't said from my heart. I didn't really, I just didn't want to go to hell. You know, uh, some people would call that fire insurance, you know. And, but, you know, so I, I went to church because, you know, you do what your parents tell you to do. I just remember being in the middle of church and, you know, like, Dad, I need to go to the bathroom. I didn't really. I just wanted to get up from my seat and move around and wander around the church or whatnot, you know. Just kill time. Is this over yet? You know, it seemed like church would go on forever. As a kid, I was, one of those, I was in one of those charismatic churches, if you know what that means, you know. Just a lot of singing, a lot of hand raising. And it would go on and on. As a kid, it seemed like it was forever. When are we going home? I'm hungry. That's all I was thinking about. I wonder what grandma's making for dinner. I wonder if we're going to have roast beef again. Or, you know, church didn't click, didn't connect. But I remember uh, when I was a teenager um, going to a retreat. Uh, I was invited to go by the pastor of this new church that we were going to. It was a teenage retreat. He was a pastor that used to be a youth pastor, so he's still connected with these guys in Clemens, North Carolina. So I came from New York, upstate New York. You know, for a kid to go leave there and go to North Carolina for a you know, weekend-type retreat, sure, I'm in. My sister and I both went. thought it would be fun to, to, to go and take off. And, yeah, let's, let's go to North Carolina. And I remember taking part in the service and sitting in there and same kind of things and music and then there was a guy that was speaking but there was a verse that he shared that captured my attention Um, when I just know if I wasn't listening before what it was but it was this passage 
In Luke 9, 23 and 24, Jesus is talking and he says this. I'm gonna, he said to them all, if anyone would come after me in some versions, I think I had the NIV at the time. If some would follow, someone would follow me, if anyone would follow me, this is what it means, in other words, if you're going to follow me. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be a believer, it means something. If you're going to follow me, this is, this is what that looks like. If anyone would come after me, it says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself. So it's not about me. And take up his cross daily. And the speaker was talking about this verse. And he's like, well, you know, Jesus carried a cross. If you know the story, right? He carried his own cross. He was nailed to that cross. And what, what happens on crosses? You die. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To carry your own cross, essentially what he's saying is you have to, you have to die to yourself. That your life, the way you know it, that you think it's all about you, that life all about you is over with if you're going to be a Christian. Take up his cross daily and follow me. So it wasn't about Lance's life and, and all the things that I thought that I wanted and this, that, and the other. It was about putting my life to death, if you will, and then following Jesus. And I didn't really get it at that, until that point because it was like, I, I, you know, we typically think our life's all about us, especially as a teenager, right? Remember what it's like to be a teenager or have teenagers? Or, you know, I don't know, you know, but it was like, you know, it, there's nothing more selfish, it seems like, than a teenager. <laughs> it's about me. It's, about all, I, you know, it's all about me. And, and, and to deny yourself and to set myself down and to make my life all about following Jesus. That's a radical change. That my focus, that my life, everything that I'm about would not be about me, but it would be about Jesus. That's a, that's a big time change. Because he says here, this is really amazing, in the next verse, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And it's one of those statements like that that you see in the Bible where it really at first is confusing, and it, but you realize Jesus is, just always takes things and he flips them on their head. It's like that passage of Scripture, if you've ever heard it, and we were joking about it a couple weeks ago, that, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, Right? But Jesus says, if you, if you try to save your life, if you try to make it all about you, you'll lose it. Because your life really isn't about you. 
life is really all about him. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So I realized in that moment that if I was willing to set my life aside and to make my life all about Jesus, that I would find life, that I would understand what life is all about, that the things would finally make sense. And I remember hearing that verse, and as a teenager, teenage guy who was worried about what people think, I remember bawling my eyes out and going to the front of the church that day. And the pastor was just, he didn't even need to say anything to me. I just went up to him and I was like, I'm following Jesus. It was in that, in that moment that I really got it. That it clicked, that I was setting my life aside and I was following him. But what's crazy about that whole thing and setting yourself aside and following, and following him is where I actually found life where the light bulb came on and where things made sense because in following Jesus is, is life. and following Jesus is where life makes sense. It's the strings and the guitar. It's, it's plugging the, the blender and the out, outlet. Things work. Things make sense. It all comes together because he is the, the author of this world. He's the creator of this world and of you. Lord, I pray that, Lord, this morning that we would just make that decision anew, that we would just make, take these lives, Lord, and let them be all about you. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for the opportunity today to, to gather as your church and to worship you and to lift you up. Lord, life only makes sense with you. And Lord, help us to see and to learn so much more about you. Help us to be so much closer to you and more connected with you. Give us a greater hunger for you.